Welcome to the teaching ministry of Stephen Fraser and Life of Faith Bible Church. An outreach dedicated to helping you triumph in every area of life. Now here's Pastor Fraser with today's message. We're in chapter 2 of the book of Daniel. Remember over in chapter 1, we were given a little history of the book of Daniel and how Daniel was a captive of the Babylonians. The Babylonian Empire had come in and they surrounded Jerusalem, took many of the people captive. Daniel was one of them. Eventually they came back and completely destroyed the temple, burned it down. The devil is after our faith because we aren't just wrestling with flesh and blood. We're not just dealing with kings and political leaders. What we're dealing with is demons, principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And they're after your faith. They're after your worship. That was one of the, of the, of the top three temptations of the devil to Jesus was if you'll bow down and worship me, if you'll just bow down and worship me. He wanted the Lord to worship him. So that's what he wants from you and I. He wants us to worship him, but uh, we're too busy worshiping God to worship the devil. But everything's all about that in this world, and you have to understand that when you're looking at political things. It's, it's all, when you're talking about an election, it's all about your worship. The devil is after your faith. The devil is after your worship. When we're talking about coronaviruses, the devil is after your faith. Whatever it is that's going on in the world, the confirmation of a Supreme Court justice, the devil is after your faith. Ultimately, that's what he wants. Many times he might not start out that way, but that's what he's after. I did find it interesting that uh, Senator Ted Cruz was speaking during the uh, confirmation hearings, and he was talking so much about religious freedoms and about how there are people that want to take our religious freedoms away, and he said, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. So that's what they're after. They're after the church. Why? Because it's demons that we wrestle against. It's evil spirits. Every war in the world, everything. I mean, think about World War II. It wasn't just about conquering the world. It was about conquering faith. It was about conquering the people of faith. Who was the greatest target of Hitler, of the Nazis? God's chosen people. The Jewish people. He wanted to annihilate them, destroy them. And really that is at the root of all wars and all battles that we face in this world. So we don't want to just get caught up in all the natural rhetoric that people are repeating. We want to understand the Bible and understand the real battle, the real fight that is going on in the world. And it is for us a fight of faith. We are here to fight. And we are fighting the fight of faith. We are waging a spiritual warfare. Our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty in God. Hallelujah. And it's the word of God. It's speaking God's word, using our faith. That's what's going to cause us to overcome. I'm so glad that we're here to save the world. I'm just so here as God's superheroes in the earth to save America and save the world. And we are here and we are doing that. Our prayers are going forth and we are changing things. We are affecting things in this nation, believe me. I remember when Brother Hagin passed away, after he passed away, it just seemed like all kinds of things fell apart. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of intercession. He was a man whose faith was holding a lot of things together. And when he left, a lot of things unraveled and fell apart in the church world, in the government. So many, so many, so many things after he departed. But uh, praise God, whatever he dropped, we picked it up. We picked it up and we are standing in the gap. We are using our faith and we are holding back the forces of darkness. Can you say amen? We're doing that like Daniel did. Daniel was a man like that. He was a man of prayer. And he prayed. He stood in the gap for the children of Israel. And he allowed, or he, was, he enabled God to bring 
his salvation to the Jewish people, his deliverance to the children of Israel. That's what we see in Daniel. Daniel is an example for you and I. He was a man that lived a defiled free life. He kept himself clean from the filth of his generation, the filth of Babylon, an idolatrous nation. He didn't follow the ways of the Babylonians, even though they took him to a reprogramming camp for three years and they worked on him, changed his name, tried to change his identity. Daniel stayed faithful to the Lord. They didn't change Daniel, but Daniel did change Babylon. He changed Babylon. Babylon and thus changed a, a good portion of the world because Babylon was a world empire at that time. So chapter 2, it says in verse 1, Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Then the king gave a command to call the magician. Call the magicians. I had a dream. I, I got to understand this. Call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I've had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. So here he's called these so-called wise men of Babylon. The magicians, those that use sleight of hand and magic and trickery. The astrologers, those that observe the patterns of the stars as a means of attempting to forecast the future. The sorcerers, spiritualists, who claim to communicate with the dead for information regarding the future. You know there's a lot of that going on in our government. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of that going on in the government. In fact, I'll just say it because she came out, and you can even look it up yourself. I mean, it's on video. She has spoken it several times. Our sweet Nancy Pelosi, she talked about how when she first became Speaker of the House, that George Bush invited her up to his office and began to congratulate her for being the Speaker of the House and so forth. And as she said, as he was speaking, her voice, his voice, began to fade away. And she began to feel all crowded in with like a lot of people. A lot of people were cramming into her space. And, 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 she, and, and she, she said it was all the, uh, it was like uh, Susan B. Anthony the spirit of Susan B. Anthony and other, you know, women that were leaders that had gone on and died. And they were all cramming in. And they spoke up and said, she heard this in her spirit. She heard, finally, we have a seat at the table. Talking about the seat that now she holds in the government. Yet she didn't hold it, but the spirits that were in her, all crammed in her, said, Finally, we have a seat at the table. Through her, they've got a seat in our government. Now, she said that. She said that on several occasions. I heard her talk about it uh, at a graduation. She thinks it's great that these spirits, the spirits of the dead, have communicated with her and no doubt have continued to communicate with her and to help her in her seat at the table in our government. And there are many others the uh, BLM movement, the co-founders of that, they have said themselves that they, first of all, they said they're a Marxist organization. That's number one. Number two, they said they owe a lot of credit to the spirits of the dead that have helped them to be able to do what they've done, accomplish the things they've accomplished. They couldn't have accomplished it without the help of those spirits. And that's why many times when uh, they're out protesting, they say, say the name. Say the name of the deceased person because what they're doing is, is calling the spirit of that person. They're looking for help from the dead. But we know that human beings that die either go to heaven or hell. They're not lingering around here talking to humans. What you have there are demons that are pretending to be the spirit's of the dead, but they're just demon spirits 
evil spirit. So if you're trying to contact the dead with your Ouija board or whatever you like to do, you are contacting demons who love to steal, kill, and destroy. And so here, this is who he's calling for, spiritists. You know, it's amazing. This is a long, long time ago. And yet here it is going on still today. Why? Because the devil is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has nothing new up his sleeve. He's got nothing new to offer, but the Lord outsmarts him through us every time. We're not to be ignorant of Satan's devices. Not to be ignorant of Satan's device of the witchcraft. The using of demons to try to get things done in the earth. We got the name of Jesus. And honestly, I tell you what, I I was more impressed with these people's faith in their being able to work with the dead, the spirits of the dead, than I've been impressed with a lot of Christians and them working with the Holy Spirit and the angels of God. It's amazing they really believe it and are proud of it and are having supernatural experiences and tapping into supernatural satanic power. How much more should the church be walking around confident and bold concerning the power of God that is in them? How much more? No, instead, the church turns it into a religious thing. For them, it's real. Their contact with demons ain't a religious thing, man. They got, they got demons they connect with. And these demons help them. Speak to them, lead them, help them. And you got the church playing religious games when we've got the Holy Spirit who wants to strengthen us, teach us, lead us, guide us in all things in life. We need to wake up. Wake up to the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit that is with us. The Chaldeans, they're the educated elite who attempt to tell the future by human, human genius Mathematical calculations, poll numbers. No, I added that. <laughs> An understanding of philosophy. It's amazing how many of you want to tell us the future. They want to tell us who's going to be elected and tell us everything that's going to happen in the future. And it's amazing, all the prophesiers and naysayers and all these things. Well, it was the same back in Babylon. Verse 4. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. This man sounds frustrated. Sounds like he's had enough of the news media. (laughs) However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Quite honest, obviously, he does not believe in these wise men and their reporting. He, he knows it's going to be biased. He knows it's going to be fake. He knows they're not going to tell they're going to make stuff up. And he's done with it. He don't want to hear the fake stuff anymore. He's saying, no, I need to know that you really got the truth. So you're going to go ahead and tell me my dream. And then you'll tell me the interpretation. And so verse 10, it says, The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. His dwelling is not with flesh. How many ever heard of the name Emmanuel? How many people know what that name means? God with us. Ooh, hallelujah. The gods are with us. And it's God. It's okay to say gods because it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's the Hebrew word Elohim. And it's in the plural. 
That word is in the plural. And so it's God. We got a connection to God Almighty. Actually, we're one with him. He is with us right here on the earth. Thank God God's not just watching from a distance. I'm so glad that Ian and the team doesn't come up here and sing God is watching from a distance. No, thank God. God is with us. So he said, God's with me. Therefore, all things are possible. See, never say never. Never say, well, no one's ever done it. It don't matter. It could start today. It don't matter if it's ever happened. Well, no one's ever done that. Any other Christian done that? It don't matter. I'm looking to God. I'm not looking at the history of Christianity. Come on, somebody. We're looking at God. We're looking at the Word. Hallelujah. I got news for you. We're the real wise men and women of this nation. We're the wise men to this world. We've got the wisdom of God. We've got the answers to everything. Pat, you understand you got the Word? God was just reminding me of this thing too. We have the Word. We have the answer to everything. We, we, can, we can understand anything. We can interpret dreams, visions. It don't matter. We could know it all. Why? Because... It's all right in the Word. When you have the Word, you can interpret and understand anything. You can know all things. You can know all things. And not only the Word, but you have an anointing of the Holy One. 1 John 2.20. And you know, you know all things. Wow. Hallelujah. That's who we are. So don't look at Daniel like, wow. No, no. Daniel's written for you. God needs Daniels today. He needs people of faith. He needs people that walk in the power of God and the wisdom of God. He needs people that are sanctified, set apart. He needs Daniels. That's what he needs today. That's what he needs from you. That's what the world needs today. God's looking for Daniels. We need to be looking for the spirit of Daniel that's inside you and I. Verse 12. For this reason the king was angry and very furious. Gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. Man, these are troubling times. These are some tough times. Living under such tyranny. Wipe them all out. Kill them. That decree goes out. Verse 13, so the decree went out and they began killing the wise men. And how did they kill them? Cutting them in pieces. Cutting them in pieces. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. So the king, he's going around, he's killing. Daniel is, is told about it. He gets insight into it. And then the Bible says in verse 17, that Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Michelle, 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 okay. And Azariah, can't get it the third time, forget it. His companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Verse 19, then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, and he began to praise and magnify God. Hallelujah. God revealed it to him. He, saw, he went to God in prayer and he expected to, 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 to know this. Or get something from God that would save his life. Lord, what, you know, this is what the, this is what the king's requesting. You know, and he probably talked to the Lord about it. And just looking for God, what are you going to give me? What are you going to show me? Is it the dream or what? What are you going to give me to get, get us out of this? This has to stop. And uh, expecting the answer, he received it from God. And so he takes the answer to the king. He gets in to see the king. And in verse 27, it says, Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. None of their networks are going to give you the answer. Verse 28, but there is a God in heaven. You know, people do. They go to the networks for their answers. We need to be going to the Word, to God, to the Spirit of God for our answers. That's where our answers is. It's in the good news. Verse 28, but there is a God in heaven. Man, you can imagine how confident he must have been before the king. I mean, the Lord just showed him the dream. So you can hear a little preaching right there. 
But there's a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets and has made known to you what will be. But as for me, now I love what he says here in verse 30. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who made known the interpretation to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. He's saying, now king, I know this is awesome. And when I'm done telling you this, you're going you're gonna to want to worship me. You're going to think I am something else. But I just want you to know, I'm not. This is not because like, I'm a real super smart guy, super wise, uh, like super powerful in myself. No, this is not from me. This is not by me. This is God's mercy. This is God's mercy. You know, that's a good attitude to have about everything, every good thing that we have in life. You know, we got to watch about, well, my faith. I believed for it. You see that vehicle, you see that house, you see this, you see that. I believed for it. Well, thank God you believed. But God's the one that gave you the promise. God's the one that encouraged you in your faith. He's the one that strengthened you. He's the one that gave it to you. So we got to watch about putting the emphasis on moi. We don't glorify ourselves. I remember after the Lord did an incredible thing and got me into a place supernaturally. People had been waiting online, you know, I think overnight and everything to get into this place. I got there late. The place was packed, sold out. There's no way I was going to get in. But God sent his angel and he got me in. And when I stood there, I thought to myself, Lord, why me? Here I am. Got the best seat in the house. Here I am. Escorted in. You did this. I said, Lord, why did you do that? And he spoke to my heart. He said, I didn't do this because you're better than them, but for them. But for them. For them. In other words, God is wanting to do things in my life that'll be a blessing and a help to them. And this was a part of the training. He wanted me in there in order to do work in my life so eventually it would help all of them. But you see, that's just God at work. You see, you can't take credit for it. And you can start feeling real special about yourself when you're blessed and you got more than other people have. You can start thinking, well, what's their problem? What's their problem? What's their problem? You see somebody struggling along, man, they, they can hardly put one leg in front of the other. I mean, they're just struggling in every little thing in life. And you, and you look and think, man, get with the program, man. And God's cleans you up. He's, he's taught you to have a, a spirit of excellence and to be on top of things. And he's given you the smarts, you know, and given you wisdom. And you look at other people and you look down and think, man, man, get with it. What's your problem? When the truth of the matter is, the only difference between you and the and the hobo on the street is Jesus. That's the only difference. That's the only difference. He makes the difference. So let's just get the hobo and everybody else to Jesus. Let's do it. get them to Jesus because he's the answer. He's the one that cleans everybody up and makes sense of your life. He's the one that's making sense of you. You know you'd make absolutely no sense to anybody if it wasn't for Jesus. Can I hear an Amen. Verse 31, you, O king, were watching and behold a great image. This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold. The head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay. 
and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. Now, Daniel is about to give an interpretation of the dream. He begins to explain the head of gold and and so forth. But before he does that, I want to give you an interpretation from the Bible. I can't just say my interpretation because my interpretation is what the Bible says, what I see in the word of God. So let's interpret this from the Bible and then we'll see what Daniel says. I believe what we're looking at here in this image is the new creation. The new creation. Now, you might not hear that anywhere else. I've never heard it anywhere else. What, what Daniel talks about is what most people, what people talk about. But I believe, number one, we will see the new creation in this image that Nebuchadnezzar saw. The head of gold. How many know Jesus is the head of the church? Jesus is the head of the church. And gold has always been symbolic of heaven or heavenly things. And how many people know Jesus sits in heaven as king of kings? Now I say that because we're going to see something here in a little bit about king of kings. So the head of gold is Jesus, the head of of the church. The chest of silver and arms of silver is referring to the righteousness of God. Over in Isaiah 53, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And it begins to describe Jesus. The arm, the silver, I can't get into all of it, the breastplate, the righteousness of God, the chest. The breastplate of righteousness is a part of our armor. This represents righteousness through our redemption. The righteousness of God. The bronze belly. Well, I know out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And bronze is a type of sacrifice. Everything that was used for the sacrifices in the Old Testament temple... Even the altar that was used for the burning of the sacrifice was made of bronze. Bronze represents judgment, sacrifice. And so here it's talking about a surrendered life, a living sacrifice led by the Spirit of God. Not doing things our way, but being led by the living waters of the Spirit of God that dwells on the inside of us. Legs of iron. Proverbs talks about the legs of a man. Iron legs is talking about human strength. But more specifically, it's God's strength in man. God's strength in man. And you can study these things out for yourself, and I encourage you to do it. The feet mixed with iron and clay. Iron and clay. How many people know we have the iron of God, the strength of God in earthen clay vessels. Vessels made of dirt. You and I are iron men. But we live in clay pots. That's right. So it's referring to the inner man of iron, the greater one that's on the inside of us, and the outer man Of clay. And then the stone, remember the stone that was cut out of the mountain and became a chief cornerstone that the builders rejected? That stone came and it fell on the feet of the image and smashed it to pieces and ended up consuming the entire image. That's you and I being completely consumed by the Word of God. Jesus is the Word. Of God. He is that cornerstone. So we are growing in our faith and we're growing up into the stature 
of the fullness of Christ. So we declare with confidence, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. This is a picture of all that. It's a picture of our redemption. It's a picture of our salvation. It's a picture of the body of Christ. It's a picture of the new creation with Jesus as the head and us walking in the righteousness of God, being led by the Spirit of God and growing up into the fullness of the stature of Him where we are completely consumed and overcome with the life of God where our humanity is swallowed up with His deity, with His glory. Amen. That's the work God's doing in us. And that's what we're seeing here because remember what Jesus said in John chapter 5 and in verse 39. He says, you search the scriptures. And the people he's talking to is the religious leaders of that day and the only scriptures they had was the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. The book of Daniel. That's what they had. He said, you search the scriptures... For in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. So when we go into the scriptures, the Old Testament, we should see who? We should see Jesus. And if you've seen the body of Christ, you've seen Jesus. If you've seen the church, you've seen Jesus. We're seeing Jesus. We're seeing, are we seeing Jesus? We're searching the scriptures. We're looking at this vision And we're seeing, number one, Jesus. Hallelujah. Then in verse 37, Daniel, he says, You, O king, are a king of kings. He's giving the interpretation now. You are a king of kings for the God of heaven. Remember, the gold represents heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. Sounds like things that they said to the king of kings, the Lord Jesus, in the book of Revelation around the throne. And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the field and the birds of the heaven, he has given them into your hand. How many of you know that's an exaggeration? If you're talking about Nebuchadnezzar, that is a a great exaggeration. He does not have control over all the birds and every human being on the entire face of the earth. He's got a big empire, but he doesn't have control of everyone everywhere. Is that true? It's an exaggeration because it's prophetic. It's prophetic. He's speaking prophetically. You're a type of Jesus. He has given into your hand and has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over the earth. So first he says, you, the Babylonian empire, is the first kingdom. Then number two would be the kingdom that came after Babylon was the Medo-Persian Empire. That's the silver chest and arms. And then the next one, the third one, the bronze belly, is the third kingdom, and that would be Greece. So we know that from history. He's talking about kingdoms here. So then you got the kingdom of Greece that would follow the Persian Empire. Verse 40. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. And that is the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire. Verse 41. Whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men. But they will not adhere to one another just as iron does not mix with clay. Now, how many toes do you have? Ten. 
ten toes. This is talking about the Antichrist, the coming kingdom of the Antichrist. And the ten toes are like the ten horns that we saw in the book of Revelation that were on the beast. And it represents ten countries, a ten-nation configuration that the Antichrist will come into power over, kind of like a European Union. That's what he's going to come into power over, and it will be full of division. It'll be a, a very divided kingdom, and we saw that in the book of Revelation. You know, some kings were a king for an hour, and then they were taken away. How many people know the Antichrist, the devil, has a controlling problem and a paranoia problem and a fear problem because he is a spirit of fear. And so that's what his kingdom is going to be full of. That's what he's full of. And so that's why he, he doesn't last very The Antichrist does not last very, very long. His kingdom is a mess. But it'll be like no other kingdom on the earth in how evil and powerful it is, even though it's only for a short time. So that's what it's talking about, and most people will agree with that. Most commentators and teachers of end-time events talking about Daniel will agree with that. So what we're seeing then is, which one's right? That your interpretation of Daniel's? No. Daniel's is given a political interpretation, but there's also a spiritual interpretation, and that's what I gave you. Spiritual interpretation and a political interpretation. And happy to know, the spiritual needs to be very much involved in the political. He goes on, the great God who made known to the king what will come to pass after this, the dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. All these things are going to happen and they did happen. And again, kind of marrying them together the spiritual and the political, Christ embodies all the kingdoms of the world. So when we're talking about the head, God, you know, when the, the, the image representing the body of Christ, Christ and his body, the church, his body, Jesus Christ, embodies all the nations, all the kingdoms of this world. And so that's why it makes sense that Daniel begins to describe the image as kingdoms. Because all the kingdoms are embodied in the body, the image of Christ. Verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods. Notice he answered him. Obviously, when they came with the incense and wanted to worship him, he, he straightened the king out. He said, King, now I told you, this isn't because of me. I am not a God. This isn't because of me. But there is a God. And he preached about God a little bit. So then the king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Now please understand this. This started out as a very desperate situation. He was about to get cut in pieces. You understand, they were coming for him to cut him to pieces. It was all over the news. They're coming to get you. They're going to kill you. They're going to take all your property and burn it. And anybody connected to you, they're coming out, they're arresting, and they're killing. And it's happening. This is an extremely dark time. Yet, it's a time of great opportunity. For the people of faith. Come on somebody. No matter how dark it looks. No matter how bad it looks. No matter how evil the report is. You lift your head up. And you look unto God. And know that promotion is coming your way. Because when we handle the storms in faith. We come up to a higher place. The storms just lift us up. Just like the eagles. 
The eagles, man, they see a storm coming, they just fly into it, and that updraft just, they spread those wings out, they stop flapping, man, and the, and, the, and the storm itself, the updraft from the storm, just throws them up high into the earth's atmosphere, just lifts them up. They go up higher because of the storm. The greater the storm, the higher we're going. Have that attitude. Don't have the attitude of fear. We have the attitude of faith. This is an opportunity for our God to show him strong on our behalf. I mean, he went from being shredded, cut in pieces, to being the ruler over the entire province of Babylon. Loaded with gifts from the king. Famous. Think about it. Put yourself in that situation. Incredible how God is able to take the unreasonable and wicked actions of others, the unreasonable, wicked actions of wicked rulers, and then turn them for our good if we trust in him. Come on, somebody. It's not over. No matter what man does, it ain't over for us. Our light just gets a little brighter. Come on, that's good news, somebody. You got to remember that now. In the storms of life. Verse 49. Also Daniel petitioned the king. And he said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean Abednego. Over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. I bet everyone wished they were Daniel's friend. Going into this. You gotta, you, you know, make sure you keep company with people that are going to go somewhere. Because when they're promoted, you might go with them. But don't be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Hang around with the wrong people that are going to go wrong in wrong times, in bad times, and you will go wrong too. Don't be deceived to think otherwise. But hang out with people of faith. Attend Life of Faith Bible Church. Watch Life of Faith Bible Church online. Be connected to the house of faith, to the house of God. Be connected to the people of God. And when one is exalted, we all are partakers of it. Hallelujah. Hang out with winners. So that when they win, you get to celebrate with them. You get to go to the party. Come on. Meshach, Shrag, and Abednego, man. They didn't interpret the dream again. They just knew Daniel. Hallelujah. <laughs> they just knew Daniel. I know him. I'm with him. It's even better when Daniel says, they're with me. Yeah. Yeah, this big crowd of people. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. They're with me. Let them in. Come up hither. Come up higher. Glory to God. Make sure you're hanging out with people that can help you. In these last days, bring you in the right direction. Are you ready for chapter 3? Let's do it. Verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold. Huh? Whose height was 60 cubits and its width 60 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura. Dura. In the province of Babylon. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I'm sure the image kind of looked like him too. Then a herald cried out, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. You know, a tyrant is always a tyrant. I mean, you'd think the guy, you know, had enough signs and wonders. You'd think that, you know, what he got from Daniel was enough. Prostrated himself before Daniel. 
You're God's the God of God's. Who am I? Next thing you know, I don't know. I don't know how much time went by. But before you knew it, that's old news. That wasn't real to him anymore. How many people know the things of the flesh are, are growing old and passing away? But you and I to be living life out of the Spirit. And, and, and the Spirit is renewed day by day. Our faith should be being renewed day by day. Jesus should, be, Jesus, Jesus should be more real to you than the day you got born again. First day you came to church, went, oh my God, God's in this place. His presence is in this place. It's beautiful. I feel the love. Well, I mean, how should we feel now? We should be like holy, holy, holy. Instead of been there, done it. Yep, Wednesday night, that's what we do. And then some, some new person walks in. Oh, this is incredible. Got to watch it. Got to watch about being fleshy. And getting into familiarity. And allowing the things, the awesome things of God. The word of God. The power of God. Allow it to get old to you. And mean nothing to you. Mean nothing to you. Meant nothing to him anymore. That experience was long gone. Now it's like, I want an image. That's God. That's God. The God of gods is gone, and now you're going to make a God. You're going to make a God. Okay. All right. Well, this is, this, is, this is human nature. Human nature. But we're not just human. Right? We're not just human. We're the sons and daughters of God. Verse 4. So basically he's saying, all right, get the musicians in here. Play the national anthem. And everyone need to bow their knee. I mean, I mean, when this anthem is when this anthem is played, everybody needs to take a knee. And anyone that does not take a knee will be excommunicated, ostracized, hated, despised, looked down on, and might lose their job. That's what's going to happen if you don't take a knee. Even worse, you'll be killed. Here in Daniel's day, you'll be killed. It's amazing the kind of pressure that people so quickly fall to. They just, oh, I didn't want anybody not to like me. I didn't want everybody to hate me. Now let's see what Daniel did. Verse 7. So at the time when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, and the lyre, and the in symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, nations, it's like a pandemic, and languages fell down. They all fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Everyone cooperated with the king's mandate. I mean, like, instantly. Instant cooperation. It's amazing. Flawless. Everybody did that. All the nation, oh yeah, they all fell down. Fear, fear. In fear, they all fell down. Verse 8. Therefore at that time, at, at, at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You're wonderful. And uh, anyway, they called the snitch hotline. And they told him. They told him. 311. They told him. So then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, I'm just, you know, paralleling. You understand? What's going on today is really no different than what's going on in the past. Except, except what we're reading here is a whole lot more intense, a whole lot more threatening. But if this is allowed to continue in our day, it'll end up exactly like that. And again, what's it all about? Who you're going to worship. So it's all about falling down and worshiping something else other than him. Because if you worship anything else other than him, you are worshiping Satan. Because he is the God of this world. And so he wants your worship. Yeah, worship this image when he does worship, really worshiping him. He saw all those people bowing down at the music. They're worshiping the devil. Or worshiping the devil. That's what he wants. And uh, that's where we'll go again, unless the church takes its place, which we are. 
fight the good fight of faith and push back the forces of darkness. Verse, uh, verse 13, the Nebuchadnezzar in rage and fury gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. How many people know this is some good end time preparation preaching right here? You understand what I'm saying? So we went from the book of Revelation, we're in the book of Daniel, and we are still talking about the last days. We are still preparing for the end times. That's why this fits so well. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound and the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship... You should be cast to me. See the fiery furnace? You should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. I just want you to see it over there. See that? It's right there. He's got him standing in front of this thing. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hand? He's got himself exalted pretty good, don't you think? Man, how quick he forgot about God. I love verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, We have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will. He will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, no, we worship the gold image which you have set up. Wow. Come on, somebody. You talk about faith in God. The whole world's bowing down. Three men aren't. Three men are standing up. Which one are you? Who are you? Don't answer. It might be put to the test if you answer. Just ask God. Lord, make me like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. I've learned not to say, I would never deny you, Lord. I've learned that from a man by the name of Peter. I don't make the same mistake. I know when you make statements, you are allowed to be tested for your statements. So I don't say, I would never, or I would do this. I just say, Lord, keep me from being stupid. Don't let me be foolish. Don't let me deny you. Don't ever let me deny you, Lord Jesus. That's a good pray to prayer every night before you go to bed and when you get up in the morning. Let me read uh, verse 18 from the New International Reader's Version. It says, But we want you to know this, Your Majesty. Even if we knew that our God wouldn't save us, we still wouldn't serve your gods. We wouldn't worship the gold statue you set up. Now notice that. Even if we knew that our God wouldn't save us, we still wouldn't do it. Now, they knew God would save them. They said he will save us. But if we knew that he wouldn't, we still wouldn't worship your image. We're still going to worship God. We're willing to burn death and die for our faith. Man, those are people who do not love their lives. They don't love their lives in this world, even to the death. Verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury And the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace. Now watch this. Seven times more than it was usually heated. Now, you know, pride has a real hard time with faith. You understand? I mean, he is, pride does not like faith. He is just like beside himself that these guys are not bowing. That they're not listening to him. And then he raises the temperature of the furnace seven times. How many people know a thousand degrees Fahrenheit is no different than three thousand degrees Fahrenheit when you're thrown into it? Isn't that right? I mean, if you're in a fiery furnace, it's hot. I mean, does it have to be hotter? I mean, do you have to make it twice as hot? Three times, seven times hotter? 
No, he's trying to intimidate them. He's having them stand there as they're throwing wood and whatever else into this fire to fuel it. And he's trying to intimidate them because he just can't stand that these guys are not bowing to him because he's the great king. He's wonderful. There are people that would get very angry with you resisting what they say to follow your faith. But what are you going to do? Be intimidated as they throw a few more sticks on the fire? Huh? Say a, more, say a few more things, a few more sticks and stones trying to break your bones? Some names to hurt you? What are you going to do? You're going to fall apart? Let's hope not. Verse 20. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bring Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Man, you just don't want to touch the righteous. You just don't want to put your hands on them. You don't want to manhandle men of God, people of God. You just don't want to do it. I've seen things happen to people that tried to manhandle anointed men of God. Didn't turn out good for them. Verse 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. They did not love their lives in this world. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? That's, it's interesting. These men's faith was obviously so convincing that he felt he had to really get the furnace hot to intimidate them and to make sure they burned because they were so convincing. We're not going to burn. We're not going to burn. And then, you know, you think you just throw them in the fire and you'd walk away. But he's looking into the fire. It's like, what are you looking for, King? It's hot in there. These guys are burned up. I mean, they're ashes by now. The guys that threw them in there are dead. But he's looking in there. Wait a second. <laughs> I'm seeing something here. Happy there's probably a lot of smoke. It's hot, so you can't get too close to it. Right? You can't just walk around the flame. These guys just died. The heat, you know, heat can hurt your eyes too. You get, get near a good fire, you got heat and, and sparks popping and smoke. And there's only so close you can get to it. And yet he's looking for it. He's looking. So I would say this is a pretty strong gaze. What am I saying? I'm saying their faith convinced him that they're not going to die. And he's looking, expecting them to not be dead. He's checking to see. He's, he's, it's really not that ridiculous to him. Should be, right? Should be completely ridiculous to him. But it's not. See, we, we need to be so convinced of our faith in Jesus that it convinces others to follow Jesus. I believe that's one of the reasons why Jesus had such success in his ministry of getting people healed because he was so convincing. He was so convinced when he spoke the word concerning healing and deliverance, when he spoke about salvation. People were convinced. By the way, he was so convinced. That's why they said he doesn't speak like the religious folks. He talks like one who, who speaks. He speaks with authority. He's, he's convinced of what he's saying. There's no wavering. There's no doubt. There's no second guessing in his speech. It's convincing. It's convincing. We want to be so convinced that we're convincing. It's easy for people to believe when we talk about Jesus. You can't just be written off as, as just another flake. Just another one of those religious flaky people. Because we're not. We're the real deal. And so... 
He's looking, verse 23, and, and, these, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound in the midst of fire. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar, astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound in the midst of the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. <laughs> Come on, somebody. You know, we saw this in the book of Revelation. That if death isn't in the fire, you won't die. If life is in the fire, you'll live. See, the fire doesn't kill anybody. Death kills. Death is a demon. Death is a spirit. Nobody dies from natural causes. It's demons. It's a demon of death. That's what takes people's lives. But when you got the fourth man, when you're surrounded by life, it don't matter if a thousand fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, it's not going to touch you because you got the fourth man. You got the life of God there with you and death just can't have its way. It's going to have to come back another day. Come on, somebody. You got to spoil death's fun. You got to spoil it for death. See, death, I ain't going today. I'm not going today. How could you say that? Because I got faith. Verse 26, the Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the midst of the fire. And the satraps, ministers, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together. And they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The fire had no power. Say the fire had no power. Not a fiery dart of the wicked one has any power over your body. I don't care if it's a fiery dart of sickness. I don't care if it's a fiery dart of disease. Whatever the fiery dart might be, it cannot take you out. It has no power over your body. My body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. How about yours? It belongs to God. It's full of life. Death can't have its way with my body. <laughs> Hallelujah. So submit your body to God. Present it wholly to God. And the devil can't touch it. Can you say amen? Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. And they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any gold except, no, any God except their own God. Notice that. They yielded their bodies so that... They would not yield to any kind of God, worship any other thing. Watch what your body yields to. We're in training for the fiery furnace. Come on, somebody. Why could these men handle the fiery furnace? Because they've been training their body all along to not listen to devils, to not yield to devils. And not let devils have their way in their life. Verse 29, therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces. This guy loves cutting people in pieces. <laughs> and their houses shall be an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Sound familiar? Then the king promoted Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Notice, from being hated and threatened with death to being promoted in the palace, in the province of Babylon. Come on, somebody. These men were going to die. But now, look, they've been lifted high. <laughs> Hallelujah. Another great opportunity. Woo, glory to God. Great tribulation. Great trials. Only make the way for great rewards. Great exaltation. Great promotion in the kingdom of God. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Come on, if you got faith, you ought to be shouting. 
Praise God. That's who we are. That's who we are. That concludes this message. For more information about Life of Faith Bible Church or Stephen Fraser Ministries, go to our website at lofbc.org. While you're there, be sure to check out the many other teaching series and books by Stephen Fraser. That website again is lofbc.org. And you can always call 888-542-2555. We trust today's message has encouraged your faith and strengthened your spirit to live the victorious life. And until next time, remember, we always triumph and we always win.